right, so Galatians chapter, uh, Galatians, um, the book of Galatians, we are going to be in chapter four this morning. As you guys know, we're continuing our study uh, in Galatians, and we're looking at uh, the book of Galatians, uh, Paul's letter to the Galatian churches. Um, we've established this already, that the book of Galatians is not, re- is not, is not uh, written specifically to one church, but it's written to a group of churches. And so what we're going to do here this morning is we're going to work through a couple more passages uh, and kind of get a sense of what Paul is trying to communicate here to the Galatians and how it actually really affects us uh, and is applicable to us today as the church. And I just wanted to say something to you guys this morning that I know that oftentimes we think about, you know, worship in, 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 in categorical ways, right? We look at uh, something as being worship, something as not being worship. You know, we look at singing songs and, 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 and singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to the Lord as worship. And obviously in our culture, that becomes sort of the, the, the terminology that we kind of connect worship to. But I just want to kind of remind you here uh, about what we're doing this morning, that everything we do when we gather together is a form of worship, that in singing, we're worshiping. And in our giving, we're worshiping. And in our prayer, we're worshiping. And as we gather together and, 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 and encourage one another, we're worshiping. And the greatest way, I think, and I believe the way in which we worship God is by studying the Word of God, by understanding the Word of God. I mean, we have to understand something that these are God's words. These are not man's words. These are not man's opinion. This is not man's wisdom. This is not man's philosophy. These are God's words that we are about to read, and they're meant for us to, to impact us, to transform our lives, to regenerate our heart, to, conform, uh, to uh, reform our mind. And in many ways, we see worship uh, as the, uh, a sort of, you know, a supreme form of worship by looking at and applying the word of God to our lives. And I would encourage you that as you, uh, as you sort of um, participate with the same amount of vigor and expectation and desire in the singing of songs, that you would do the very same thing as we get into and study the word of God. That it, with your whole being, you would be immersed in the truth and that you would allow that truth to transform your life, to conform you in, for, to the will of God and to transform your heart and to, uh, to transform your mind this morning. Um, I wanna just share for a moment out of um, John chapter 16. This is uh, what we understand about the truth. This is what we understand about the word of God. That the word of God is breathed, is, uh, is God breathed. It is inspired by the spirit. It comes through the spirit. And this is what Jesus said in, in John 16. He said that I have many things that I have to say to you that I can't say to you right now. And what he's referring to is, is when he leaves, he's still gonna be speaking. When he leaves the earth, even though the verbal words coming out of his mouth would end, that he would in every way continue to speak to his church. And he said, I still have many things to say to you, even though I'm departing from you. But guess what? Guess who's coming? It is the very spirit of God that's going to come. And what is he going to do primarily? And this has a lot to do with Pentecost. What is the primary role of the Spirit in the life of the believer? It is to lead us into all the truth because he is the Spirit of truth. And so when we read the Word of God, when we study the Word of God, when we allow the Word of God to saturate our hearts and conform our minds, what we are doing is we are being led into all the truth through the Spirit. That the spirit living in you gives you the ability to understand wisdom and knowledge and the truth of Christ. 
And that's what, Paul, that's what Jesus said. He said, it is only by the Spirit that you're going to understand these things. And he said, I've got more to say to you, but when the Spirit comes, he's going to speak, not on his own authority, but on mine. So everything the Spirit speaks in the Word of God and inspired the apostles and the disciples to write were the very words of Christ under the authority of Christ. And so with that being said, it's important to understand what it is that we're doing this morning when we get into the Word of God and we study it. Paul said that the Holy Scriptures for Timothy would make him wise unto salvation. Well, what does that mean? It means that it is only through the truth and through the word of Christ that we can understand salvation. We can understand how we're saved. We can understand how we're redeemed. We can understand how we are brought into an intimate relationship with God, that we are reconciled to him. Not only that, it it shows us the way of sanctification. It shows us the the commands of God, the the instructions of God, the law of God that that resides in our own hearts, the things that we want to do now uh, as a way to honor and worship God. And so Paul says that the scriptures make you wise, Timothy, unto salvation. So preach the word so that your people can be wise for salvation. So that's what we're going to do. So this morning, this is week seven of our series, and uh, the title of our message this morning is The Relapse. It is the relapse. And this is what Paul is addressing to the Galatian churches. Now we've studied and we've understood and we've applied Paul's letter to the Galatian churches. We can really understand kind of what prompted Paul uh, to write this letter to the Galatians. What prompted Paul was the idea that the gospel that they had received and that they had been saved by was now being completely rejected. It was being set aside for something different. It was being marginalized and it had been replaced with something that was a counterfeit gospel that had no power to save them. And Paul basically is saying that they were relapsing into a way of life that they once were rescued from. And the same can be true for us. That as Christians, if we don't keep the gospel front and center of our lives and are being reminded of it daily by the Spirit, we can easily relapse into a a different life, a life that we used to lead. And Paul goes on to tell them what that life was. He said that they were relapsing into a life of infancy spiritually. See, in Christ, we've come of age. In Christ, we are mature Before the gospel, we were ignorant of God. We didn't know God in his fullness. But it is through the gospel of Christ that we now have come of age and we have graduated from infancy. He said, you're relapsing into your own works. You're relapsing into performance. Your life has become about a spiritual performance to impress God. said, you've relapsed into slavery. Why is that? The Galatians had spurned the sufficiency of Christ. They had abandoned what he had accomplished. They had discarded his grace. They had laid aside the surpassing worth of his death and his resurrection. They were embracing their own work. They were embracing their own achievements. They were embracing their own spirituality as the basis for their justification. 
They were basing their own spirituality as a foundation for their forgiveness. They were basing uh, their achievements as a means for God's mercy and as a grounds for God's grace. So let's read here in Galatians chapter 4, and let's see exactly what Paul is saying. We're going to start in verse 8, and we're going to go to verse 11. Paul says this, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn your back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and years and seasons. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. So Paul here, he is a, continually drawing the attention of the church back to their former spiritual state before they heard the gospel. He dredges up their past in order that they would realize the status of their current spiritual condition, that they are no longer slaves but free. They are no longer infants but mature. They no longer have to rely on their spiritual work but on the grace of Christ for their salvation and their justification before God. Paul says it like this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 2, a little bit earlier in the letter. He says this, Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit and the works of, or by, by works or of the law or by hearing with faith? He said, how did you receive the Spirit that's at work in you? Did you receive it because you earned it? Did you receive it because of your performance? Did you receive it because you merited it? Did you, mer- did you receive it because you convinced God that you are worthy of the Spirit? No. How did you receive the Spirit? Not by your own work and not by keeping the law. How did you receive the Spirit? You received it by hearing with faith. In other words, you heard my message. You heard the good news of the gospel. And what did you do? You believed. You heard and you believed by faith. You didn't hear and in your own wisdom conclude that this was the best option for your life. You didn't rely on your own ability to understand in order to make the decision to believe. He said, you heard and received the Spirit by faith. And it is the Spirit that allows us to understand the work of the gospel. It is only by the Spirit that we can understand the work of Christ. It is only by the Spirit that we are led into the wisdom and the knowledge of Christ and all that he has done. Outside of the Spirit, we cannot understand these things. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then he says this in Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 17. He says, so by faith, uh, so faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing the word of Christ. So as the word of Christ is declared, as the word of Christ is proclaimed, as the gospel is given to the world, they are given the opportunity to hear it and believe and receive. How is it that the gospel is received? By hearing, not by our own work. We cannot come to a logical, rational conclusion about this reality. 
Because he said, in the wisdom of God, uh, is in the wisdom of men, the gospel is folly to them. So by the wisdom of men, men consider the gospel foolishness. So it is not by our own wisdom that we receive the gospel and the good news of Christ. It is by the Spirit of God. So Paul felt it necessary to remind them of who they are. Who are you now? You're complete in Christ. So that they would not relapse into their former life. It was a a relapse in a former life seduced by false teachers infiltrating the church. And they were seeking to draw the Galatians away from the grace of Christ as their substance of salvation. Peter puts it like this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 18. He says this, For speaking loud boasts of folly, they, meaning false teachers, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. In other words, they, they entice those out of the grace of Christ by appealing to the flesh of, 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 of human beings. And the flesh of human beings really relies on pride. It relies on our own work. It relies on our own performance. And what it says is, is that you can get to God through your own will. And so the false teachers were coming in and they were, they were corrupting the gospel and they were drawing people away, enticing them by sensual passions of the flesh, those who were barely escaping. And listen to this. They promised them, listen to what, Paul says, or what Peter says here. They promised them freedom. This, this is exactly what the Galatians were, were being uh, manipulated into. They said, no, you're free when you obey the law. You're free when you're circumcised. You're not free totally by the grace of Christ. You're free when you believe in Christ plus your own performance. So they promised them freedom. But they themselves are slaves. They're slaves to their own performance. They're slaves to the law. And they're slaves of corruption. For whatever become, overcomes a, a person so that he is enslaved. And that is what the Galatians were dealing with at that time. So for Paul, regarding the Galatians, he says, you cannot relapse into this former way of life. Your spiritual eyes have been opened to the gospel. They're no longer walking in darkness. You're no longer adorning the shackles of slavery. But you are free. You are free, rescued, and redeemed from the power and the penalty of sin. And this was not of their own spiritual performance, but accomplished by Christ in his sufficiency and the comprehensiveness of his death, his resurrection. Paul says, do not go back. Do not relapse into your former life. And then he goes on to explain what that is. He said, your former life is characterized by ignorance and slavery. Look with me in in Galatians chapter four. This is what he says. Verse seven, uh, sorry, verse eight. He says this. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. What does that mean? He said, formerly, when you did not know God, what he's saying is, is that before you, the gospel, you did not know God. Formerly, you, you had no idea who God was. You were infants in spiritual matters. You were unlearned. You were lacking understanding in Christ. But now that is not the case. You were at one point unskilled. 
You were not sufficient in the comprehension of God. And a more accurate rendering here would be that they did not acknowledge God. It wasn't that they didn't know God, but that they didn't acknowledge God. In other words, it was not as though they were unaware of the existence of God. It's that in their unrighteousness and rebellion, they denied the reality of God. There's a big difference there. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 1. So in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, Paul talks about this. It's not that they didn't know God, but they didn't acknowledge God for who he was. And, and that's the world today. That's the state of the world today. Listen to what Paul says about the, the condition of a man that is outside of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. He says this, in verse 19, Romans 1, verse 19, he says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. You, you're thinking to yourself, how has God shown himself to those who don't know him? Paul says it in verse 20, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and divine nature. So it's his invisible attributes. What are those attributes? His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. In other words, Paul is saying, all you have to do is look around you to understand the existence of God. All you have to look around you and see the beauty and the splendor of creation is the very reflection of the nature of God. Look at the order of the world. Look at how everything functions. Look at the form of the world. Look at how it all operates. Look at the completeness of it. He said, all you got to do is look around and see the divine nature of God and the eternal power of God. And he said, everyone looks out into the creation and they understand there's a God, but they don't acknowledge God for who he is. And that's what he was saying to the Galatians. He said, at one point, you did not know God. In other words, you did not know him in the sense that you did not acknowledge him. And he said, because of this, you are enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Galatians, back to Galatians chapter 4. He says, because you did not acknowledge God, you became slaves to other things that were not God. If we are unaware and do not acknowledge God for who he is, we're going to eventually end up worshiping other things that should not be worshipped. We're going to put things in the place of God in our lives that only God should reside in. That's what Paul is saying. He said, you worship other things that weren't gods because you did not know him. And what he's saying is, is that these, the Galatians, whether they do, they, they serve man-made gods. Think about this. It's no different today. We serve man-made gods. Both in the church and outside the church. The world serves man-made gods. The world serves itself. The world serves its own agenda. The culture serves their own agendas. Pick your, pick your topic. 
The, the church in many ways can, can, can put in place of the, the sufficiency of Christ something else to worship. And he said, you're worshiping things because you do not know God and because you have not acknowledged who he was and who he is. They serve man-made gods. And these gods are produced by worldly philosophy. You know, uh, religious systems that are humanly invented. Worthless rituals, participating in worthless rituals and ceremonies and events. He says, these are not gods and you're serving them because you have not acknowledged God for who he is. These entities they served before hearing the gospel were just gods in name only. They were elevated to the status of God in accord with the wisdom of men. And so it is, we can do the same. And we can ele elevate things in our lives to the point of almost worship-like. Whether it would be our careers or our relationships or the love of, 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 of money or success or you know, pick, pick whatever it is you want. We elevate these things to God. Why? Because we do not want to acknowledge God. And she said, this is what you're doing here. Man in his natural state will always seek to replace the knowing and the worshiping of God with some other God, with some other idol. And this is what the Galatians used to do in their spiritual infancy. But Paul says, you have graduated. You are no longer an infant. You are an adult. You are mature. You know Christ. You know the wisdom of Christ. You know, you understand Christ. You understand the gospel. I gave it to you. You heard it. You received it into your heart. And now you're supposed to live by it. Don't go back to serving those things in your life that are not God. And primarily, he was talking about their own spiritual work. Verse 9, he goes on to say this. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, it seems that Paul is correcting himself. He says, now that you have come to know God, or let me correct myself, rather, let me put it in a better way, rather, now that you've been known by God, This is your new life. That word but, that is a conjunction, a contrasting conjunction. That word but is, uh, is um, it's comparing his former statement with his statement he's making now. He's saying, you were like this, but now you're like this. Now that you know God, or better yet, you're known by God, this is how you should act. See, unlike their former spiritual state, the Galatians were ushered into and now enjoy the knowledge and the truth of God. They have been made alive to the reality of Christ by the preaching of Paul's gospel, which is Christ. And it is the hope of Paul that the ministering of this truth, that it would cause them, and this is an analogy that I thought of, as I was just studying this passage, that Paul was hoping 
and, and, and pleading for them that through the ministering of the truth of Christ, that he, when he brings the message of Christ to them, that their lifeless boats would be thrust upon the shores of salvation. That in them, their lifeless boats were just meandering through life with no charted course, no purpose, no destination. But now that Christ has come, it was Paul hoping that their lifeless boats that were meandering out in the middle of the ocean would rest upon the shores of salvation. That they would receive it and understand it. And that would be the guiding piece of their life. That the gospel would be at the center and all that Christ has done. And that it would guide them in their journey. And that they would not abandon it. They had been, the Galatians, resuscitated by the power of God. They have been resuscitated by the power of God and the breath of grace. And this breath of grace was thrusted into their lungs, causing them to come alive. It was the gospel that brought them spiritually alive. They were dead, no, no longer able to respond to God, not knowing God, not acknowledging God. But then the gospel of Christ comes and they become alive. The gospel is breathed into their very lungs and they're resuscitated. And what is their exhalation supposed to be? What is their response supposed to be? Obedience to Christ. And Paul is saying, you have received this and you've been brought alive. Now live in obedience to the message. Live in obedience to the gospel. Don't abandon it. Hold fast to it. Treasure it in your heart. Don't turn away. Don't go back to your former life. And Paul, in many ways, he wants to quench the desire of the Galatians to take any credit for their salvation. And that's why he sort of corrects himself. He says, it's not even that you and your own ability get to understand God. It's that God has chosen to reveal himself to you. So that's why he corrects himself and says, not that you now know God, but you've been acknowledged by God. In other words, God has chosen to reveal himself to you, and now you've chosen to receive the gospel into your heart. And Paul is basically saying, don't take any credit for this process. It is not because of your own ability that you can even receive it, but it is only because God has revealed it to you. He says, because he's revealed it, he's acknowledged you. And those who have believed have been transferred into a life of knowing Christ. And this translates into a desire for Christ, a love for Christ, fostered by a radical obedience to the word of Christ, the truth of Christ, the knowledge of Christ that we are led into by the Holy Spirit. Paul puts it this way in Colossians 3.16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with abundance. What is, what is Paul saying here? He's saying as the, as the word of God, as the word of Christ dwells in you, it dwells in you richly, which means there's no end to it, which means there is an abundance of it, which means that everything that dwells in you through the word of Christ as you stay uh, steadfast and you show fidelity to the truth of God and it's transforming power in your life, there's never an end to what it can do. 
that your transforming process never stops and that God is always sufficient to bring about his perfect purposes in your life as you remain committed to the truth of Christ. It is an abundance that we share in the word of Christ. It is rich. You can't find the bottom of it. You can't scale to the heights of it. The breadth of it is immeasurable. But it is constant and continually feeding the soul of every human being that chooses to rely on it. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And what does it do? It teaches and admonishes one another. That as you dwell in the word of Christ, it teaches and admonishes one another in all wisdom. And what is the response? Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs like we did today. Our response to living and abiding in the word of Christ is a heart of thankfulness expressed in the songs that we sing to him. He said, let that word dwell in you richly. 1 Corinthians 2, he puts it this way in 14 and 16. He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him. The natural man looks at the things of the Spirit and think they're foolishness. They're not worth anything. They have no benefit to them. He says, the natural person, the one who has no indwelling spirit in them, doesn't understand the things of God. He says, he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, let me just stop here for a moment and bring some context to this. When Paul uses the word we, he's not talking about all of us. If you read it in context, he's referring to the apostles and the disciples who have been given the mind of Christ through divine revelation in order to give us the word of Christ. So it is the apostles and the disciples that read, that write the word of, of God down, inspired by the Spirit, because they've been given the mind of Christ. They understand what, how Christ thinks. Now, this is not to say that they knew everything, but they did know what Christ had decided to reveal to them. This doesn't say that we as human beings can ascend to an understanding of everything that God knows and decides and, and determines. No one knows that. I just need to say that because that, that, that has been taken out of context to make people believe that they can know everything that God knows. That is not what this text is saying. But what this text is saying is, is that we have the mind of Christ because we have the word of Christ and that we know the things of Christ. We know what Christ thinks about salvation. We know what Christ thinks about justification. We know what Christ thinks about uh, the moral will of God. We know how it is that Christ has called us to live. We know how, to, how it is that he redeems us. We know how it is that we are sanctified in him. We know of these things. We know how it is we pursue holiness and righteousness and godliness before him. He has given us these things in his word. And so Paul says we have the mind of Christ so that we can know the things of God. And so as we read this, we can understand the mind of Christ. He then goes on, says this. 
now that you have come this far, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? That's in verse, uh, verse 9. How can you turn back? How can you go back to those things that once enslaved you? They are worthless and weak. Don't go back. Press forward in the gospel. Press forward in the grace of Christ. Press forward in those things that he's given you. Press forward in the reality that you are complete and that in you lies everything you need to live a life that is pleasing to God. And you don't need anything else. You don't need the elementary principles of the world. What is Paul talking about here? What he's, what he's basically referring to is the, we talked about this a couple weeks ago because Paul uses this term a couple, chap, a couple verses ago. He says the elementary principles or the spirits of the world. What does he mean by this? What he means really is fundamentals, okay? Basics, uh, the very rudiments of human spirituality. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. When Paul uses this phrase, what he's referring to is is the very elemental uh, building blocks of human religion. And that is, is that human religion is based on work. Human religion is based on performance that in some way convinces God to love you. And Paul says, you're turning back to these elementary principles of the world that you once worshipped. It's kind of like, when you think about it, a good analogy or a good illustration is the elements of speech. Now, we're really attuned to this right now because of Evelyn, right? Well, Evelyn right now, she's not speaking a whole lot, even though she's watching us, observing us. You know, when we, I learned a little trick from Shanna that when I'm, when I'm holding her, and I didn't even, never realize this before, but like the, the whole goal right now when we, when we hold her is to get her to smile, right? Because it's like the best. It's like the facial expressions, you know what I mean? Especially her because she always has this look of distress on her. She's like this all the time. It's like, girl, you're about to explode, I know, but we got to figure this out. She's always like ready to just go, wah, right? That's just where she is right now. And we just have to have a lot of grace for that. So when you get the smile, it's like, oh, this is so amazing. Like, oh, she's smiling. She's giving us facial expressions. You know what I mean? And she's beginning to, 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 to sort of form sounds, right? And she's watching us. And when I look at her, Shannon's like, you just got to hold the smile. In order for her to get you to smile, she's like, you just got to hold the smile. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to hold the smile. So I'm like. <laughs> and I was like, she does. She, she, it causes her to go, ah. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. I guess I never really realized that with our other kids. But anyway, so the point is this, is that she's making these sounds, right? They're not words, right? They're just sounds at this point. And it's kind of like that, what Paul is talking about. The elementary basic building blocks of something, the, the sounds that, that, that Evelyn is making right now are sort of those elementary principles of language, right? They're sounds, but they're not full words, They're sounds and they're utterances, but you can't understand them. And that's what Paul is saying is, it's like before you didn't understand Christ, you understood the basics of human spirituality. 
in the elementary principles, but you didn't know the fullest form of Christ until he came and I preached to you the gospel. It's the same thing. You were murmuring and you were making spiritual noises, but you were not forming words. Now that Christ has come in the gospel, now you are mature. You are forming words. You are speaking. You are intelligent. You grasp the things that Christ has done for you, and you're walking in them. That's what Paul is referring to here. And he uses two adjectives to to talk about uh, these elementary principles. He uses the first adjective, which is weak. And the second one, which is worthless. He said, these things are weak and they're worthless. What is Paul saying? That they are helpless. They are, in a sense, uh, unable to, stripped of any power to affect any spiritual maturity in your life. You cannot grow in Christ if you stick to the elementary principles of the world. He said, they're weak and they're worthless. In other words, that, that, that Greek word here really talks about being destitute of wealth or influence, helpless, or powerless to accomplish any end. He said, you can't grow in Christ if you're going back to these elementary principles of human religion and spirituality. You must abandon that, and you cannot go back. In their time, Greek philosophy was the, the talk of the town. It was the philosophers of the age and the educators and the orators that ruled the show, that took the stage, that wowed crowds with their own man-made wisdom. And every philosophy came and went. Every spiritual idea came and went. And the Greeks were always looking for the purpose of why they were there, how they got there, what the purpose of life is, and where they're going. And what Paul is saying is, is like, you got to abandon all of that philosophy because it's in Christ that you know all things. It's in Christ that you know how you came to be. It's in Christ that you understand the creation of the world. It's in Christ that you understand the universe and how it came to be. It's in Christ that you know the way to go in life. And it's in Christ that you know where you're going. It's in Christ you know your inheritance, which is eternal life with him forever and worship. He said, this is the only way you understand the things of the world. And it can never be taught, never be understood, never be consumed through human wisdom and human philosophy. He said it is in the gospel and not through elementary principles that you see out in the world every day. This is nothing but man-centered wisdom. He said these works are powerless. They're weak. They're worthless. What does he mean? He says that these works, they're impotent. They lack any ability to justify you. They lack no power to regenerate you. In the human heart and in the mind, they are, Paul says, they're ineffective in their power to convert the soul. Your soul cannot be converted by these things. They are useless in their attempt to make 
or to make known the spiritual riches that we have in Christ. They're inadequate. They produce nothing. They produce no life now, and they are not able to grant you eternal life with Christ forever. So abandon it. It is only in the gospel. It is only in the gospel of Christ there that lies the comprehensive power, the sufficient ability, the unwavering force, and the capacity to bring every person to their knees in humility and contrition as the holiness of God is presented with an unrelenting urgency. Understand this. Through the gospel of Christ, the holiness of God is displayed and revealed and is done with a sense of urgency that causes every human heart and every human soul to make a decision for Christ. A daily one. That is why as a church, we must be constantly reminded of the gospel and the good news so that we can daily make a decision and say, Christ, I will follow you. You will be the king of my heart. I will serve no other God but you. And I will rely on you to lead me into righteousness and godliness. It is the only life that I seek. It is a life that is worthy of the manner in which you exist. It brings us to our knees in humility and in contrition. It is the holiness of God that is presented with this urgency and it draws the human soul into salvation and it draws the soul through this undeniable weight of conviction and a newfound desire to love the truth and to obey Christ. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? See, people are, you know, for, for Paul, he was meant to be ashamed. He was scorned. He was rejected for his message because it was so radical and it was so offensive because it told men what they didn't want to hear which was the truth. The truth about God and the truth about who they were and how they needed Christ in order to bring them to God. And Paul said, I've been shamed. I've been tortured. I've been beaten. I've been imprisoned. I've been meant to abandon this message, but I can't. I can't abandon it. If I do, I bring judgment on myself because God has called me to this ministry. And he says, I am not ashamed. I will not be meant to be ashamed of this message. Why? Because it is the power, the ability of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and to the Greek. I, I can't abandon this message because this is the only thing that brings people to, to God. It is through the atoning work of Christ that we see everyone ushered into the very presence and holiness of God and the urgency to make a decision for him and say, I will follow you. For that reason, I can not be ashamed. So he says, do not relapse. Do not go back into bondage. Do not be enslaved by the law. Do not be enslaved by human religion. Do not be shackled by human wisdom or tradition or philosophy. And I would say the same is true for us. 
the church has a great way of forming traditions and creating traditions that in some way convince us that through these traditions, we can authenticate our faith with God. (sighs) We have constructed traditions and we've constructed ways of doing things that have convinced the church that if you do this, and if you hear this, and if you practice this, that that somehow authenticates your faith. And Paul said, you don't need any of that. You need Christ, and Christ alone. And he says, I'm afraid I've labored over you in vain, if this is the case, my friends. I'm afraid that all of my work is for nothing. All of the travel I've done, all of the beatings, all the imprisonments, all of the insults, the persecutions, the reviling, the attacks, the physical altercations, the sleepless nights, the eagerness and anxiety over their spiritual condition. He's afraid it's all for nothing because you're abandoning what I brought you. Don't cause me to labor in vain over you, he says. So here's the question. Do we, like the Galatians, attempt to authenticate our faith through work? Do you rely on your spiritual work to authenticate your faith? Do you stand upon your religious experiences to prove that you are mature? Paul sets a very different standard for maturity. Paul says, your maturity lies in trust. In trust alone. By faith. Not by your work. Not by your spiritual performance. But trust alone. Is it possible that we can rely on our religious experiences to validate our spirituality? (laughs) Because around every corner, guys, is offered a new religious experience that claims to draw us closer to God. And let me just give you some examples. We're told that you're supposed to live your life with everyday miracles. That if miracles are not happening in your life every day, that's God's desire. But if they're not, then in some way, Your faith is less than. You're a have-not. And you have to somehow muster up enough faith in order for you to walk in miracles every day. That's a lie. That is religious work. The very definition of a miracle is the fact that it doesn't happen all the time. (laughs) If you're walking in miracles every day, they're not, by definition, Miracles. Miracles happen when God determines them, and they happen as a way to build our faith, but not authenticate it. Divine revelations. We're told that we need divine revelation. That we, we need to just hear from God all the time and that God is always speaking and it's, it's up to us to, to try to figure out the frequency in which he's communicating so we can get on that frequency in order to hear God all the time. That's a spiritual work. It's spiritual experience that only seeks to try and authenticate faith. Faith. 
But unfortunately, Paul does not use that as the standard for the Galatians. What does Paul use? Trust simply in Christ and what he's done for you. We are told to grow in spiritual maturity, that we must go to this event or attend this conference or spend a certain amount of time in the secret place or, 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 or somehow uh, you know, convince ourselves that we are attaining this higher level of spiritual consciousness with Christ. But is all this necessary to prove genuine faith? Is it possible that after trusting in Christ and his, in his gospel, we are relying on our own religious performance to verify our own spiritual condition? And were not the Galatians doing the very same thing? Adding their religious work to Christ as a way to authenticate their faith. It's a question that we have to wrestle with as the church as believers because there's all kinds of opportunities out there that lie for us. There's all kinds of ways that we can be baited into thinking that we need to authenticate our faith or prove our spirituality through some existential means or some hyper-emotional religious experience. But the truth is this. Our faith is founded, authenticated, and sustained by Christ alone and by a trust in him that is beyond our ability. We cannot get to Christ on our own merit or justification, and therefore salvation is not contingent on our spiritual performance. And I'll end with this. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord draws near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. If you want to know God, if you want to be close to God, if you want to have an experience with God, what does God say about drawing near to you? if you want to feel close to God, if you want to have an intimate relationship with God. And trust me, we can look out there and there are endless and countless strategies and plans and studies that claim to draw us closer to God. But what does the Lord say about what draws us close to him? A broken heart and a crushed spirit. A heart and a spirit that understands our spiritual bankruptcy and our utter need for the riches that can only be found in Christ. That is what the word of God says. And I will trust in that. Paul, I'm not putting words in Paul's mouth here. These are my comments on what I see Paul saying. In many ways, Paul is saying that those that rely on these things 
these performances, these ceremonies, these meritorial sort of successes in spiritual terms, these people, and he's guarding the Galatians into not doing this, he says, they have traded their sanctification for demonstration. They have abandoned the process of sanctification and all they're obsessed with, with is their spiritual demonstration. They are not about the business of holiness, but of haughtiness. They consider their self-importance to be of greater value than their selflessness. They're abandoning their piety and they've become obsessed with their performance. And the righteousness of Christ is spurned for a secret longing for self-glorification. And they extol their experiences making much of their spirituality and reject the call of Christ to be adorned with humility and contrition over their sin. And Paul says, this is what you are in danger of doing when you reject and abandon the gospel that I brought to you. He says, stay close to Christ, stay close to the gospel, consider it the greatest treasure in your heart, the one that will bring you to an understanding and a wisdom that surpasses any human wisdom or philosophy or teaching. He says, stay close and draw near to Christ and draw near to the Lord through a broken heart and a crushed spirit. It is the humility of the believer that ushers them into the holiness of God like nothing else can. And we cannot experience the holiness of God. We cannot experience the loveliness of God. We cannot experience the richness of Christ when we are considerably and constantly obsessed with our own spiritual performance. So Paul makes it simple. Trust in Christ. Rely on the riches he's given you. Give him all honor. Magnify his name with your life. Pursue righteousness and godliness. Live in his word. Trust in his truth. Allow the spirit of God to do the work in you that brings you into the fullness and completion in accord with the character of Christ. Do that. Do that. And do it all because you've received by the grace of God, the good news of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's stand this morning. <laughs>